the blessings. We've laid out different environments here where you can see that relationships are um, revealed or developed. Sitting at a coffee house table, having conversation in a bedroom, around a dinner table. Relationships are, are, are formed in those environments. There are transition events like the birth of a baby or the sickness of a loved one. A teenage son or daughter goes off to college. Those transition events reveal what the relationship already is. We've been talking about the blessing and what it means to relationships. The most important relational issue on earth is the blessing. And we've talked about how that's communicated. Last week we talked about meaningful touch. This week I want to I give you another way. And if you look at those stories uh, between uh, Isaac and, and Jacob and Esau and Joseph and Joseph's children, as you trace the way the blessing worked through the Old Testament, you can see most often when the blessing was given, it was given with meaningful touch. Someone, someone laid their hands on another person and that meaningful touch was part of the blessing. Another part of the blessing we'll look at today are spoken words. There were always words spoken during the time the blessing was given. That's a very interesting part of the blessing because it just happens to hit a taproot all the way through Scripture. If you think about it, God spoke creation into existence with words. At the beginning of nothing... And before everything, God stood that, stepped out on the edge of, of space and said, let there be. And he spoke creation. He could have written it. He could have just formed it with his hand. But for some reason or another, Scripture records that when God created everything, he spoke it into existence with words. And then he said, this is good. John chapter 1 tells us that the Word of God, the spoken Word of God, became flesh and dwelt among us. From Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Jacob's twelve sons to Jacob's two grandsons that we looked at last week, the blessing was transferred. The entire universe is built on words. Kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall on words. Relationships began and relationships are ended with words. God said, let there be light. And when you and I woke up this morning, thousands of years after the day he said it, the sun rose and there was still light. It's power in words. God revealed himself to us in the form of words. We call it the Bible. God revealed these. He revealed himself. He revealed his character. He revealed his nature. He revealed his actions. And he revealed them in words. King Solomon was audacious enough to jump up into our face off the pages of Proverbs and scream, The power of life and death is in the tongue. Words divide, words heal. Words tear down, words build up. 
Words control, words liberate. Words reject, words accept. Words hide and words reveal. Words attack and words defend. Mark it down. Words will never leave things the same as they were before the words were spoken. Nothing will be the same once words are spoken. Look at James chapter 3. James has a very powerful and specific few verses on the power of words. James chapter 3 verse 3. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they're so large and are driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder whenever the pilot, wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boast. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. In that verse, James uses three examples to show the power of spoken words. The first one is, he talks about a bit. A bit was something that was put in an animal's mouth, tied to reins like a horse, so that you could pull on that bit and turn them. With something as small as a stick, you can direct a 1,000 pound animal. The next example he uses is a very small rudder. In the same way that words are spoken, words may be small, they may be whispered, they may even been sent in an email, but they can be used to steer an entire person's life or turn a relationship all the way around. I, I, as I was studying, I, I was interested what the biggest ship in the world is. How big of a thing can a small thing like a rudder turn? Some ships, the largest ships are 200,000, 300,000. The largest ship is over 400,000 tons. 400,000 tons. And do you know what steers it? A small, insignificant component of the superstructure called the rudder that's not even visible at the waterline. It steers 400,000 pounds of metal. The last example James used was a fire. Like a, like a forest fire, words can burn things deeply into our heart. As important as James says that words are, you would think sometimes that we would handle them different. I think because we live in a day of uh, information overload. The news, um, internet... Talk radio. I, I can remember when I first watched the news and they started flashing. Do you remember this? They started flashing that banner across the bottom with news updates. You know, the guys talking and then the Dow and the stock market's here. Then the th now, that's normal to us now. But I can remember the first time I saw that and I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Too many things are happening. Wait a minute. Wait. I'd be following that. What did he say? What did he say? What, what did he say? Wait, wait. What's at the bottom? Anybody else have that problem? I'm like not a multitasker. Those words are just shooting through there. I think because we hear we're so inundated by words, I think that we're, we, we undervalue them. We don't understand the power of them. I, I think that oftentimes what we do 
if, if you considered words to be like money, I think so many times we think words are like pennies. We just walk in a room and just start talking. Blah, 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 blah. And we just spin words like pennies and they fly everywhere. What I think we should do is spin words and some keep going. I think we should spin words like $100 bills. Think about it. Maybe the reason words come out so easy is because we don't value them enough. Maybe our value is too low on them, so we just shoot them out because they don't mean much to us. When you look at the blessing and you look at the, the spoken words given in the blessing, I think sometimes we miss this part of the blessing Sometimes not because words aren't spoken, but sometimes because the wrong words are spoken. Maybe the blessing's missing. Maybe we're not communicating it because we're dealing with the damage of wrong words. I don't know whoever said sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never. It's a lie. Did you know Satan crafts nursery rhymes? To teach us young. Sticks and stones break your bones and words crush your soul. And the bones heal faster. Do you know that for every negative comment, psychologists tell us it takes seven positive comments to overcome? Now think about that. When you speak a destructive, a harmful, a negative thing to someone, it takes seven positive comments to overcome that. Now... I don't know what you think the depravity of humanity means. But I think one of the reasons that negative comments impact us greater than positive comments is because we're, we're not yet in our heavenly state. We still have some stuff in our soul that's not yet been perfected. And for some reason or another, we tend to gravitate or be impacted by those negative words. When sin entered the world, it broke us in more ways than we can possibly imagine. By nature, you and I are attracted to negative things more than positive things. And the more broken you are, the more magnetically drawn you are. to the. It's only through the work of the Holy Spirit. It's only through the discipleship of the soul. It's only through the maturity in the Christian life do you and I ever learn to wean ourselves off the broken things we were born in and crave the things that are whole. And spoken words is a place that we see that. Sometimes it's not negative words that are spoken. Sometimes that's not the reason we're missing the blessing. Sometimes it's the absence of words. I think the most common way that we don't pass on the blessing in our home is not through speaking negative words. I think there's a thief loose in America. And he just jumps in the night from one home to another to another to another. Do you know what his name is? He steals the blessing through spoken words from us. I think his name is overactivity. Just busy. Good stuff. Good stuff. You say, but look at my life. I, I'm, I'm not doing anything wrong. I mean, I'm not living in sin. I mean, I, I mean I'm, I'm a good citizen. I pay my taxes. I, I'm respected. I, 
Uh, I keep my yard clean. I won Yard of the Week award. My kids have good grades. What do you mean? What do you mean? Well, that may be exactly what I mean. We're simply too busy to speak the blessing. We're driven by other people's expectations on our lives and not God's expectations on our life. So the blessing's left out. In most homes, it's not a choice. It's the, it's the circumstance of our society. In most homes today, both parents have to work. And then you work overtime and then meals on the go and you're constantly cutting corners. But at what expense? If you're taking notes and you're a parent, I want you to write this down. This will be a statement that I hope that you'll reflect on for some time. All of that activity... All of that noise, I think to our children, may sound like silence. It sounds like my daytimer is full, my schedule is full, we're experiencing a lot of things, we're going a lot of places, we live a full and active life. And you may see the value in your life in the busyness of it. But to a child, one event to the next event to the next event may just sound like silence. It may sound like meaning to you and I. But to them it may sound like, I don't know, my dad never said anything about that to me. My mom never talked to me about that. I don't don't know, but we went a lot of places. Children won't even remember everywhere you took them. But they will remember most of the meaningful things you said. If not all of them. If not all of them. From the parents' view, sometimes it just doesn't seem like the right time. So what is the result? What is the result of not finding the right time? (laughs) Well, one day you blink and you drive your kid off to college and you go in and you help them set their bedroom up and you walk out And on the drive home, the only thing you can think is, I wish I would have said things like that to them more. I wish I would have, I wish I would have said, I wish I'd have told them I loved them more. I wish I'd have told them how important they were more. I wish I would have talked about how valuable they are more. One day you blink and you slip into a bride's room and there your daughter is in a bride's gown and all you can think is I didn't say what was on my heart enough I, I wish I wish I would have said it more I wish I would have said it at all I wish I would have said why is it we become so creative at crafting such brilliant things at a moment like that the blessing We console ourselves by saying, I'll have time tomorrow. Or it's really not that big a deal. They know I love them and that's all that really matters. Besides, my parents treated me that way and I turned out all right. Did you really? You sure you're all right? Unfortunately, we're oftentimes so busy fulfilling everybody else's expectations for our lives, we don't have time for the blessing and then wonder why we're not blessed. Do you know in many Orthodox Jews' homes, and this is centuries and centuries and thousands of year old custom, 
In many Orthodox Jews' homes today, the family still practices a weekly blessing. The father calls the entire family together. They light the ceremonial candles. And the father speaks a blessing over every child. Now, you can call that what you want to. I think that is amazing. There are at least two negative results on a person's life when the blessing's withheld. Now, let me just share these with you, and you look at them and see if you haven't seen these show up. When the blessing is not being shared, especially through spoken words, we first ask ourselves, when the blessing's not coming to us, we say, what did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? It seems like nothing I ever do works or I can't live up. It's not right. So here's what we say. We say, I will fix this. I'll try harder and I'll reach out there and I will, I will get the blessing. And this is how people become workaholics. They spend the rest of their life trying to earn the blessing from somebody who's never going to give it to them anyway. Now look inside for a minute. If you're a driven Workaholic type person, ask yourself this question. How many meaningful words did my parents speak over me? I almost guarantee you, if you're a workaholic, in some fashion or another, you were missing some spoken part of the blessing. Now that's, that's one side. The other side is we either become workaholics or we just withdraw. That's where we just give up. We actually decide, you know what, I can't fix this, so why try? I'll just give up. I just, I just won't reach out there. We give up because we're convinced that we'll never do anything good enough to have the blessing. And so we just become ap- apathetic with no drive or no passion. No, we're fighting a losing battle, so we never start. Let me give you some, some thinking that I've heard, especially, I mentioned this to you last week. When I was a youth pastor, you really encounter this between parents and kids at that point. And there's a lot of things that I've heard through, through some time in ministry, reasons people give for not, not speaking affirmational blessings over their children or spouse or, or whoever. I don't want to inflate that person's ego. I mean, I could build them up so big, and then what would happen? They'd go out in the world, and, you know, their head would pop. I'm afraid if I praise them, they'll take advantage of me and manipulate me. It's so much work. If I start it, they'll expect it, and I don't know if I can keep it up. I just don't know what to say. They already know I love them, so why does it matter if I say it? I actually heard somebody say this one time. Telling a child their good points is like putting on perfume. A little's okay, too much, and they stink. I had someone tell me that. Now get your pen out. Everything I just told you is an excuse. Let me give you the reason. The reason, most of the time, that we have trouble speaking the blessing is because the blessing was not spoken over us. All the other stuff is a defensive shield to deflect what's really going on right here inside of us. Most of the people that have the hardest time were missing the blessing to them and now don't, don't know how or, or, or have shut in on it. I hope by this point what you're not hearing me to say today is just talk more to the people you love. 
I'm not saying just talk more. You may be throwing words out like pennies. I mean, I just talk to them all the time. They never have a chance to get a word in. You do understand that's not what I'm saying. To communicate the blessing, you don't just say more. You speak words of high value. Speak words of high value. It's kind of like in a family reunion. You ever been to a family reunion? You go to a family reunion and the first day, what does everybody talk about? The weather, fishing, sports. How do you think the team's going to do this year? They talk about politics. Boy, look what's going on in the country. Did you hear what Congress was doing? They talk about the grass and the trees and the flowers and the what, what's going on, the economy. They share recipes. Hey, did you see that new movie? But here's what almost always happens. You go to any family reunion you want, and as the clock ticks down and the hour's coming for everybody to start breaking apart, the conversation turns, and people begin to speak meaningful words to each other. One sister says to another one, Hey, I'm praying for you. I believe God's going to help you work your marriage out. I just want you to know I'm praying with you. Grandparents look down at the grandkids and say, I know school's hard, but man, I believe you can do it. You stay in there, and I believe you can do it. Adult children look at their parents and say, you know what, you guys did such a good job raising us. We're so proud to be your kids. Why is it that we wait the longest to say what we want to say the most? you thought about that? Why do we procrastinate that? Why do we put that off? Why do we defer that? Many times, it's, it's only when we face the pressure of time. It's only when a transition of some kind comes and we can see that time is growing short. It's only under the pressure of time, oftentimes, that we say what's been in our heart to say all along. The problem is, it's later than you think. It always is. I asked Pastor Micah to come. In 1986, a plane crashed in Japan. Over, you may have caught this on the news. Over 500 people died in that plane crash. Only four people survived. The survivors relied, uh, relayed the remaining moments of what happened in that downward spiral for 34 minutes. Can you imagine? For 34 minutes, the plane was out of control, erratically moving toward the earth. While most of the passengers panicked, one middle-aged Japanese man took the last few minutes of his life to write a note to his family. At the crash site, the note was found on his body by rescue workers, and it finally made it to his wife and kids. I want to read that note to you this morning. That note found stuffed in his pocket, written in shaky handwriting. said, I'm very sad, but I'm sure I won't make it. The plane is rolling around and descending rapidly. There was something like an explosion that has triggered smoke. To his oldest son, he wrote, I'm counting on you. You and the other kids be good to each other and work hard. Remember to help your mother. To his wife he wrote, Please take good care of yourself and the kids. To think, dinner last night was our last. I'm grateful for the truly happy life 
that I've enjoyed. Now this family will never have the warm embrace of their husband and father again. What they will have that will live on with them are the words that he spoke over their life. Your words will last longer than you do. My words will last longer than I do. They'll outlive us. And they're either going to be some form of a blessing or some form of a cursing. But this is where God's plan has been set for us. The words that we speak are the silence echoes in the souls of those nearest to us for decades. This morning, I want to I share, I want to speak this morning to you as a church. I want to I speak a blessing to you. And then I want us to, in a few minutes, we'll pray individually. You are an incredible, creative, missionary-minded church. It's a group of people. You stand ready to sacrifice for the kingdom. I've seen it in you. I've never been a part of a church that loves people more than you do. When I run into so many of you in the hallway, run into you, talk to you on the phone, it's no, it's no, I never get the sense there's a back agenda running somewhere. Just genuine, authentic, real, precious people gathered together, worshiping, celebrating, serving, you don't have any attitude of superiority about you. Your spirit is good. Your soul is good. Your attitude is good. Christ-like in your attitude. Faith. You live and move in powerful faith. You dare to believe God in the middle of some of the worst circumstances life can deal. You're a powerful and a strong and a mighty church. I'm so grateful to be with you. So grateful to be with you. And I hope you feel that way. I hope you're grateful to be with each other. You and I have come to a very good place. We've come to a good time. We've come to a good season. As I prayed for you, I could sense God, God's voice, wanting to do something inside you. And He'll tell you in the, in the next few minutes, He's going to tell you. About three weeks ago, I want to show you what, what a blessing may look like individually. About three weeks ago, my youngest son, who's eight, his name's Tyler, most of you know he has diabetes and he takes shots every day and, and all of this. 
And uh, he is such a... I can't imagine a, a, a child his age doing any better than he does with it. He's just... Now, let me tell you, it's not just being biased. If it was my older one, I'd have a problem. But he does really well. And one night, I can, I can, I can only name two occasions in four years. It takes four shots a day where he said, I, I don't, I don't want to do this. And one night, you know, it's just part of our routine. We go through it. We do it. It's, it's just part of it. And you just want to get through it. And I remember one night about three weeks ago, he said to me, I, I don't, I don't want to, I don't like. He said, you know what my favorite meal of the day is? And I said, no. He, I said, no. He said, what? I said, he said, breakfast. I said, why? I said, what's your least favorite? He said, dinner. I said, why? He said, because I have to take two shots. He said, I don't want to do this anymore. And, and I, just, I just wanted, everything in me wanted to just move through it and forget it. And I just, I just, all I can claim is God help me. I just got down on my knee and I looked at him in the face. And I said, you know what? I hate this. I hate it. I hate every shot you've ever taken. I hate the way you have to live. I hate what you're going through. But I want to tell you something. I love you. You are the bravest little boy I've ever met in my life. And I've never been prouder of you than I am right now. You are amazing. And I'm so proud that you're my son. If I had to line every eight-year-old boy up on earth, and I could only pick one boy to be my son, I'd pick you. I love you. And I hugged him. And I looked at him and he said, Okay, let's go. I could see a change in him. 